people. It's your host, Amanda Shapiro, and today I'm here to tell you that whether you love it or hate it, it is definitively officially fall. We are in sweater weather. PR people keep trying to make BTS a thing, as in back to school, and I'm not here for it. That acronym is already taken. But it is true that a lot of us are maybe sort of partially actually leaving our homes daily now. And I'll just get straight to the point. I am really stressed about meal prep. I am the type of neurotic person who always hated meal prep because the one thing I hate more than schlepping multiple meals to work every day is spending money on like yogurt parfaits and fancy salads that I could just as easily make at home. But after a year and a half of basically waltzing over to my fridge for every meal, the thought of actually advanced planning when it comes to food is filling me with dread and anxiety. I think I'm not alone. And so for today's episode, I am bringing in two very cool people who have thought a lot about meal prep and whose strategies and recipes have been running on the site this past month in a meal prep series. The first is our beloved senior food editor, Christina Che, and the second is chef, cookbook author, and very frequent BA contributor, Hetty McKinnon. I'm so excited to have you both on today, even though this topic is obviously making me sweat. Thank you both for joining the podcast and being my meal prep therapists. Hello. Hello, Amanda. We're here to help. (laughs) (laughs) So my first question is kind of existential. What even is meal prep? Che, why don't you tell me how you approach this very broad and intimidating subject? I'm glad that you bring this up because it was kind of, it was my central question going into recording this episode because I was trying to delineate between what I think of as meal prep and what I think it was a very different thing, meal planning. Mm. So I'm curious for y'all's thoughts on whether those two things ring different bells. Um, Because to my mind, I feel like meal prep evokes that image of the identical Tupperwares with like the grain and the chickpeas and the oh god, I'm getting identical rows of tomato and cucumber (laughs) and what have you. Um, And you have them all tucked away and lined up and ready to go and just just grabbing them every day. Or letting them die in your fridge because right. <laughs> they make you sad. <laughs> um, so some something about the term meal prep makes me think, okay, this is generally geared toward eating the same thing more or less mm-hmm. for multiple meals in a row. That's mm-hmm. what I think. And then meal planning is what? Like thinking ahead about what you're going to eat. Yeah, I feel that, you know, meal prep can be a component of meal planning is maybe how I think about it. Yeah, meal planning to me feels like you're just sitting down to answer the question of what do I want for dinner this week? Mm. And that could look like anything, right? You could be as fastidious or as loose about your planning as you wish. But honestly, like starting with good shopping, you're 50% of the way there if you shop really well. Like, you know, if you're shopping seasonally, which I know not everybody can around the country, but if you can, you know, if you buy one broccoli, buy two, buy three, and you can do so many different things with these staple vegetables. I mean, I'm vegetarian, so vegetables are my focus. But yeah, I think that they definitely kind of one leads into the other. For me, I don't separate them. That's such a great thing to tell me, Hetty, because I'm always the one who buys like the one stock of broccoli because I'm afraid of food waste. But 
I think your point kind of is if you buy more and cook more, you'll actually be reducing waste and saving money. And that's one reason people do meal prep, right? Yeah, absolutely. To Christina's point about, you know, having these meals set out in Tupperware, like that is actually not me. I don't really like eating the same thing twice. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite, uh, I'm quite unique and fussy that way. I get bored really easily. So if I make a salad, for example, I'm going to start with salad because it's a real love of mine. If I make a grain-based roasted vegetable salad, mm. it will be like that the first day, but the next day it's not. What is it? I will fry it up. So I'll put it in a, in a fry pan with some olive oil. Um, I might add some other things to it, but usually I'll just fry it up and then I'll put like, you know, put the egg on the top and mm. then it just turns it into something very different. Sometimes I make this Persian frittata called a cuckoo, um, which has some saffron in it. And I will dump the whole salad in there and make this kind of egg batter and um, that is a completely different meal. You, you don't even think... Yeah, that's a total makeover. Absolutely. So I like to make things over. The other thing I used to do, because, you know, I used to have this salad business, so I had a lot of leftover salad. Oh, my God, Hetty. I didn't know that. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. This is how I got started in food. This is why I talk about salad a lot. And it's not just a gimmick. It's like I truly love salad. I remember there was this sweet potato salad and it had arugula and... I was really bored because I had so much of it. So the next day I actually whizzed it all up and I turned it into a soup. Wow. And so That's good. That's a favorite strategy of mine too. Really? Yeah. It's, it's a good one. Amanda, you need to try wow. it. We are getting right into like the best tips. <laughs> <laughs> See, I grew up in a household of a meal prepper, my mom. She was the ultimate meal prepper because she had three freezers <gasps> and she honestly – Dream. Every every single one was full. <laughs> this is a suburban house in Sydney. Chay, do not and say dream. British. This would be a nightmare for you. <laughs> Are you kidding? I've seen your freezer. I have seen your freezer. I you wrote a whole <laughs> newsletter about having to like unearth some scary things out of your freezer. <laughs> I'm just saying it would help me to better stay organized because then you could designate themes for the freezers. Oh my god, I love it. Freezer themes. You could. I mean. And I actually think my mom had freezer themes. Um, she had, you know, one that was full of dumplings and wontons that she pre-made. Oh. That would have been one of my themes too. <laughs> she would do things like um, she would make fried rice, like lots of fried rice, and put it in containers in the freezer. That's and the, so the, the, sick. The, oh so, my God, I'm I mean, freaking out right now. <laughs> so I love the freezer. And so the freezer is actually a big meal prep space for me because I do make a lot of things and put it in the freezer, like soup base, like a curry paste, pestos, sauces, and they're all in my freezer. And, you know, I think the freezer gets a pretty bad rap sometimes. You know, people think, oh, the freezer's kind of... Where food goes to die. Yeah. And it's actually the freshest. Your sauce will stay fresh in the freezer for, I don't know, three months. And it tastes so great when it comes out because it's like suspended in time you know like as soon as it's done and it's cool I'll put it in a freezer in a little bag and like my mum's five minute dinner was wontons mm. and that's what meal prep can do that is the power of meal prep because we never had a bad meal and it wasn't for me I don't even think about meal prepping it's just very natural to me taking care um, of your future self and self yeah 
And so you're mostly freezing components. Like you're not throwing a whole like chicken cacciatore. Yes, absolutely right. What are other examples of things that can go straight from the freezer to the stove or the plate or actually be a meal right away? Mm, gnocchi? Yeah. Dumplings? Um, Ravioli, right? Pierogies? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, we're just naming dumplings. <laughs> we're naming yeah, dump- other versions are dumplings. of dumplings. Che, you have historically meal prepped for one. You've written about this. Yes. Which I imagine requires very different strategies when it comes to meal prepping. So tell me about how you go about it. Well, it's funny because I'm reminded, Hetty, of the story that we worked on not too long ago. And I think we were developing those lovely peanut noodles with the cucumbers. Oh, yeah. And I remember in the process of talking through that recipe, you were telling me about how it sort of feels like everyone in your family has, they run on different schedules. People eat lunch at different times. People maybe want different things. I can only imagine what that's like. Um <laughs> But that is probably the single most important thing that I don't have to deal with when it's just Mm. me. You know, for me, I feel the biggest challenge is just keeping up with my own whims, which is harder than it sounds. Because like you, Hetty, I hate eating the same thing. Wow. But I also feel that part of that has been exacerbated by the pandemic, too, you know, which I think makes sense. Cooking is already drudgery and somehow eating the same thing two days in a row feels like it reminds me of the fact that I've been at home two days in a row. I really, really am trying to combat sameness in all facets of my life, including in my diet. Okay. So let's talk about this meal prep series and how it tackles some of the misconceptions people have about meal prep. I think every recipe had some kind of goal of expanding people's minds on on what meal prep or meal planning kind of is and how it can fit into different kinds of lives, right? It wasn't really about only things that would require hours of your Sunday. We have some things like that. We have, you know, like a big, beautiful roast pork that we'll talk about a little later. And then it really lends itself to five-minute meals for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And then you have other things like Hetty's Brilliant Cashew Cream, which is something, it's really this modular component that you can incorporate into so many different things. And if you are the kind of person who likes to mix it up and, and likes to not eat the same thing two meals in a row, you may be eating cashew cream five days in a row, but you would never know it almost, if that makes sense. So I'm really excited about the collection. I hope that, you know, I think the part of the reason why we ran it in September is because it felt like meal planning is not ever going to be a trendy topic. <laughs> um, it's ever or it's ever going to be a timely topic. It is trending. Rather. If you've ever been on Pinterest, it is definitely trending. Yeah, it, it feels like it's not ever going to make headlines. <laughs> but at the same time, I think this particular fall and return to the school season and return to offices for some feels pretty monumental. Oh, I'm so psyched about this this series. I mean, cashew cream, I think, over the years has been kind of sidelined as this thing that vegans eat. Mm. But I think that I really wanted to show a different side of cashew cream. You know, it's so versatile, as Christina mentioned, and the three recipes in the series are really different. So I really wanted to develop a cashew cream that could be used as a base for different recipes. For me, 
it can be either sweet or savory. I tend to go on the savory side. I'm a savory person. I think the base recipe to Bon Appetit has garlic in it, but you can leave that out. And the wonderful thing about cashews is that they're naturally sweet and they have a lot of flavor. And how are you getting it to be a cream? Like, am I soaking things for hours and days overnight or what's the Uh, process? That's a really great question. Um, I'm also quite lazy. I hate (laughs) doing things ahead of time. So for the recipe that I wrote, I say you can really just soak it for half an hour in boiling water. And what that's doing is it's just breaking it down the exterior of the nut. So when you blend it up, it's going to be a lot creamier and smoother. You can add stock if you want a little bit more flavor and some garlic to add that kind of nice umami. And this is obviously when you're using in a savory dish. And how much cashew cream am I getting out of this base recipe? You're getting about a cup. So that's enough to make any of the recipes that I wrote for the series. But also worth noting, couldn't be easier to double, triple, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I usually do. So this cashew cream is literally like a secret sauce that goes into these other meals throughout the week. Okay, I'm on board. I'm on board so far. But then (laughs) tell me what I'm getting into next. What What am I making with this cashew cream throughout the week? I mean, I'm just in love with these three recipes. One is a broccoli soup. Mm. It's a really simple soup. There's nothing really that technical in it at all. I love broccoli soup midweek. My family loves it. Sometimes I put mac and cheese in it, but in this recipe. (laughs) You are full of surprises. It's an actual recipe in one of my books, um, broccoli soup with mac and cheese. I think I mentioned it in in the head note for this recipe. Um, (laughs) But if you're not putting mac and cheese into it, you can put a cashew cream and it just gives you this beautiful fluffy result and then you have some udon noodles i'm looking at our recipes here udon noodles with soy vinegar sauce and oh, a roasted goodness. carrots which all use this cashew cream so there is this this strategy is really for someone who is willing to put in a very minimal amount of time up front but who is still kind of ready and able to do some cooking on a at least for a couple nights during the week as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that all the steps involved are very simple. I mean, you could absolutely do triple this batch. Now, the udon noodles is just, it's, I'm going to say it's my favorite of the three. You're playing um, favorites. (laughs) I'm playing favorites because I absolutely, you know, I love noodles. But this is just such a revelation to use it this way. You know, it coats the noodles in, you know, it coats every single strand. It's basically like a really rich, creamy pasta, but I've used udon noodles. But it's light too. Mm. You know, you don't finish this meal and feel like, oh, I need to lie down and sleep for eight hours. It has such this lightness that is so pleasing. And, you know, the um, soy and the vinegar, that just livens it all up. And there's some mushrooms in it too, right? Yeah. You've got a little vegetable yes. snuck there's, in there. There's mushrooms in there. <laughs> and, you know, what I love about mushrooms is that you can buy mushrooms pre-cut mm-hmm. and the mushrooms just add this beautiful umami flavors. So, And how do these recipes work as leftovers? Like, can you keep the components separate and pack them for lunch the next day? Or obviously the soup you could transport, but are we talking about potentially having more food for the next day? If you think you've made too much, I would keep the components separate 
and put them together the next day. Something that my mum always, she always used to say, noodles grow. So when they're put in soup or they're put in with any sauce, they keep expanding and they keep absorbing. Okay, we'll be back with Che and Hetty in a moment to get a handle on what and how to cook for our future selves. But my next question is, what do we put it all in? Because my mismatched and cracked containers that I've been using for the last couple of years work fine if I'm throwing everything into my fridge, but I can assure you that they are not holding up very well in my work tote or in my gym bag. So to help me out with some of these questions, I'm bringing in senior commerce editor Mackenzie Fagan to talk about what is new in the world of food storage since I was last worrying about this problem. Mackenzie, thank you for stepping in today. Of course. It feels like, I mean, Chase said to me last week that we will never care as much about lunch food storage as we will in this exact moment. (laughs) But I feel the same way as you do about going back to the office, about lunch prep. So first up, whole milk yogurt with like a dollop of jam in a mason jar was my reliable breakfast in the before times when I would go into the office. But there is this great little container by a company called Lekue, I think is how you say it. And the genius part about this container is that it has a little handle so you can carry it and you can put your yogurt in the bottom and then there's a little container that sits on top of it for your granola so that you can mix it in when you get to work. Your granola doesn't get soggy. Nobody likes soggy granola. No, I'm looking at this right now. It's L-E-K-U-E. It does look a little bit like a baby sippy cup, but I think the functionality is super important. Like I don't even buy those yogurt parfaits from like any of the places that sell them where it's like already mixed together. I just can't handle that layer of sog. And this seems to completely solve that problem. That's right. It's like one compartment for the crispy, one compartment for the soggy, combine when you want. Love it. Okay. What is next? Okay. So that's breakfast out of the way. The next thing I want to talk about is this travel silverware by a company called Inca, I-N-K-A. And they're one of these, like, they're disrupting the lunch space. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they make a bunch of different products for you to bring your lunch to work. The centerpiece of their collection is this lunch purse, which I don't think is really my jam. But if it Mm -hmm. is your jam, you do you. I need to hear more. I need to know more before (laughs) I decide. Like, it looks like a little fake leather or a vegan leather. I guess Mm. we're calling all fake leather vegan leather now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Branding. It's supposed to look like kind of a high-end designer purse, but it's for your lunch. So I'm not endorsing the lunch purse because I I feel like I don't need another bag. But what I do like about Inca is that they have this gold-toned silverware. It's lightweight. It's made of metal. um, It's slightly smaller than a normal set of silverware. So the fork is like a dessert fork or like a salad fork instead of a full-size dinner fork. But it makes me feel so fancy when I use it. Yeah. So this is Inca, I-N-K-A, Inca.world. And whether or not you want the purse, we are recommending the silverware. They're like very cute and giftable too, I would say. Yeah. And I totally actually do use this at home, too. Like, again, they're the perfect size for a slice of cake or something smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When a child comes to visit. Exactly. When a child comes to visit and wants to play with your <laughs> Lekue cup, this is a special baby segment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Tell me your third recommendation. Okay, our third recommendation is for these clean canteen food storage containers. These are a favorite around the office. Allie Francis has written about them. Chris Morocco likes them. I love them. And you are probably familiar with clean canteen because of their water bottles. Mm. Yes, The Nalgene of 2021. Exactly. But you are so crunchy that you don't want a Nalgene because it's made of plastic, even though it's BPA-free. So you're going metal all the way. And the same principle applies to these food storage containers. This is for people who don't want to deal with plastic food storage containers. Mm. So if you want to avoid plastic, if glass is too heavy, the Clean Canteen food containers are made out of lightweight stainless steel. They're very sturdy. Allie Francis says that she stood on them to test their durability. Here at Bon Appetit, we really put our products through their paces. That is very true. I One thing I am missing about the office is the like random trials of things that we did there most notably the time we all tested the gravity blanket by lying down in the middle of the hallway with the blanket on top of us (laughs) that sounds so nice I wasn't there for that but it makes me feel so secure just hearing about it it was a really good moment but also funny (laughs) is the idea of Allie standing on these uh containers so tell me more about these containers okay they're lightweight The top is stainless steel and silicone, Hmm. and the silicone is sort of around the edge of the lid, so it provides a really airtight seal. So if you have a liquid, if you have something that you're worried about spilling, it's not an issue. They also come in three sizes. There's one that's sort of perfect for leftovers. There's one that's a sandwich size, and the third one is like a snack size for carrot sticks or nuts or salami and cheese, that type of thing. Also great for camping. Okay, so this is Clean Canteen. You probably know them already, but K as in clean with a K, canteen with a K. And you can get all of these in our show notes. We've also written about them on bonappetit.com where you can find them and more product recommendations for back to work, school, all of the things. Mackenzie, it was such a delight to have you on. I hope that we can have you on again soon to talk about more things or non-things, but thank you so much. We can talk about things or non-things whenever you want. This is delight. Thanks, Amanda. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to get into another very different recipe from this series and a little bit more meal prep advice. So this cashew cream recipe is an example of a component style meal prep, meal prep for bored people, as I'm calling it, where you're making these few elements and using it in different ways in other recipes throughout the week. But let's say that I don't really want to cook during the week. I am willing to devote most of my Sunday to do some cooking. There's another recipe in this package that caught my eye. It is the burnt orange and coriander roast pork. Mm, It sounds and smells so good just saying the name of it. Che, tell me, where did this recipe come from? So this recipe came from the brilliant mind of Shilpa Uskakovic, who is a recipe developer, all around lovely human being who's been helping us out here and there in the test kitchen at BA. And she had pitched this idea for a burnt orange and coriander spiced roast pork where you take a Boston butt 
Wait, hold and on. Boston say- butt. What is that? I've always wondered. Boston booty. Um, <laughs> Boston butt is just another name for pork shoulder. So you're talking eight to ten pounds. Very easily feeding family of four with many, many leftovers. And what I like about this recipe is not only are the flavors so unique and compelling, it starts off with broiling cut oranges until the flesh is charred and then you juice them to make like a burnt orange juice, which really, it's such a simple added step, but it adds so much to the pork. And I was really surprised and delighted by that when I tested this recipe. And, um, Then you blend some of that burnt orange juice with toasted spices, uh, some coriander seed and cumin seed, oregano, a little honey, and then some chipotle chilies and adobo, which are those wonderful Mm -hmm. pack-a-punch spicy chilies in that brick red adobo sauce that you can get in those tiny cans. Great cans to have around. Great cans. They last forever, too, once you open them and keep them in the fridge. Okay, so what you're making here is a sauce or this is the marinade? This is actually more of like a paste. So you blend everything until it's a smooth paste that you rub over the pork. And then you actually let that sit overnight. You give it a chance to really penetrate the flesh and just really start to get in there. Right. Almost the way that you would, you know, dry brine a turkey or salt a chicken overnight or something like that. Yeah. So no quick boiled water method for this recipe. We really have to be... Thinking about this on Saturday. Clear your calendar. No Saturday clubs. No Sunday brunch. Okay, wait, but I can, well, <laughs> I can put it. Don't tell me Actually, that. Actually, you could do you could do both of those things. I can put it in the fridge and then go to the club. A hundred percent. Okay, great, great. As long as that's on the agenda. <laughs> so then the next day, I'm getting up. It's Sunday. I have my pork shoulder, and you could go to brunch. Okay, I can go to brunch. So I wake up late. But not too late. I go. I, I I don't go to brunch. I hate brunch. What am I talking about? <laughs> and then my pork shoulder has been sitting in my fridge all night with this unctuous paste on it. And then what happens? And then it just goes in the oven. You cook it for about three hours on 325. You want to go really low and slow. And so you cook it covered for the first three hours and then you take the lid off and then you cook it for another three. So during this time, do I have to be like basting it or turning it or whatever? Can I like go for a walk? I feel that people have personal opinions on whether or not you should leave the house with the oven on. I am of the opinion (laughs) that it is fine. It will be totally fine. You don't need to do anything to it besides take that lid off at the halfway point. Okay, six hours. Wow. But it's six hours of pretty much inactive time on our part. Yeah, yeah. You're really free to do whatever you want. So then I've spent my Sunday. I have this like delicious meaty smell in my house. What am I doing with this behemoth piece of meat when it comes out of the oven? So when it comes out of the oven, it will want to shred. It will shred itself. Yeah, practically. And so once it's cool enough to handle, you can either cut it into thick slices, you can shred it, there will be a pool of that burnt orange juice mixture plus Mm. some paste plus Mm. whatever rendered out of the pork during the braising process. And all of that stuff. I mean, for me, when I made this recipe, I just shredded the pork directly in the pot it cooked in. 
and then just mixed it around with all of that liquid and then stored it that way. And that was great because that was exactly what I wanted because I was primarily yeah. interested in eating it in tacos. <laughs> you were focused on the taco game. Well, Shoba had so many great ideas for how to use it up. And, you know, among them, she suggested you could turn it into sandwiches. You could put it in a baguette with broccoli rob and melt some cheese over it. You could throw it into a stir fry with some onions and peppers. Yes. You know, you can plop it in a taco with some pickled onions and jalapenos. Ugh. Chop it up and add it to fried rice with kimchi and some eggs. Yes. It really feels like endless possibilities. I feel like it could even be a good, like, breakfast hash situation. Yes, she suggested that, too. Like a diner-style hash. Exactly. So super versatile and... I mean, I imagine it lasts in your fridge most of the week and mm -hmm. would freeze pretty well. Abs yep, you could definitely freeze it. It would be good for like a couple months. And then you would just thaw it before using it in whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think the way the value I see in a recipe like this is you're putting in an investment of time in the beginning, but you're doing so with the goal of spending minimal time when it's it's time to throw together whatever meals you're having, right? Right. And largely hands-off time, like nothing too technical happening there. Right. But, you know, it's like once you have the pork shredded and in a container in your fridge, and maybe you have a container of leftover rice or in, and maybe you have a jar of kimchi or whatever, it's really easy to see how it could take five to ten minutes to make shredded pork and kimchi fried rice. Can I just say <laughs> about the pork, I love the idea of the pork, even though I'm vegetarian, it sounds funny. But what I wanted to say about that is that the fact that you have the pork, it means you don't have to think about what you're making. And I think that thinking about what to cook is actually harder than the act of cooking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Write that in a because banner honestly, and fly it could, across I, the sky. I know what I'm cooking. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll say, this is what I'm having for dinner. I'm relaxed for the whole day because I don't have that question hanging over my head. What am I cooking? Same. So I love that idea of having that pork and like using it in all these different ways. It's like your thinking is done for the week. It's It's great. Yeah, this is definitely that kind of recipe for someone who doesn't want to have to think too hard about what they're eating. But it does rely on having some store-bought items and pantry staples around. And that's a great subject, I think, for us to touch on. And Hetty, I want to hear your staples too. What are the other store-bought things that we can rely on week in and week out to complete these big batch recipes or single components that we're making early on to make them into full meals. I mean, I have a very overflowing pantry at all times. And there's usually like, you know, five or six, seven different types of noodles, dry noodles. And other things like, for example, frozen dumplings. There is no shame in frozen dumplings. People ask me this a lot. Would you ever buy frozen dumplings? And my answer to that is yes, all the time. And from Trader Joe's, oh, mm -hmm. I always have like lentils. I often will make a big batch of lentils and freeze them. You can add that to a salad. You can add it to soup. What else do I have? I mean, I don't know. What don't I have? But <laughs> always have tortillas yes. no matter what. Yes. Always have tortillas. Yeah. 
I think during COVID and during quarantine, I got really obsessed with having multiple types of kimchi in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Tahini is another thing that I have to have in my pantry because you can just add that to vegetables. You can roast vegetables and scatter tahini on it and it's dinner. As you said, we're bored eaters. We like to eat different things, not only diversity in vegetables or diversity in dishes, but in diversity in flavors. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't eat the same type of food every day. I want to go to Italy one day and then China the next and then Thailand the next day. <laughs> I like to eat from around the world. And so having You got to have a pantry from around the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you have both been such great sports dealing with my anxiety and my my many questions. Really great meal prep therapists. I think the way to talk myself into meal prepping is really just to make one or two of my favorite foods or recipes in a larger quantity and figure out how to spin them throughout the week and adding a few clutch things to my pantry probably to keep myself interested. So I can't say I'm fully psyched to meal prep again, but I'm getting behind it. I'm definitely less terrified. And I hope that our listeners feel the same way. So thank you both so much. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, Christina Che, Hetty McKinnon, and Mackenzie Chung-Fagan for all the laughs and for joining the podcast today. Our series on how to get back into meal prep featuring Hetty's recipes and so much more is out now online. And be sure to give our guests a follow. You can find Hetty on Instagram at Hetty McKinnon, Che is at C Che, that's S-E-E, and Mackenzie is Mackenzie underscore Fagan. They've all got lots more recipes, product recommendations, and writing on bonappetit.com. If you loved the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people in business. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foos and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for this series. Special thanks to Matt Zav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro. I'll see you next week.